Shabbos is first mentioned in the story of creation. God, as it were, creates the world in six days. And it says in the seventh, he rested from all of the work that he did. And a very significant word is used in association with Shabbos, and that's the word holiness. It said that God sanctified the seventh day and made it holy. And we're taught a general principle in learning Torah that the first time a word, name, or concept is mentioned in the Torah, that becomes what's called the headquarters of this concept. In other words, if you want to understand the concept, you have to go back to the first time that it's mentioned to understand the, the deep connotations of it. So the fact that the first time that the word holiness is ever used in the Torah is an association with Shabbos. So this already tells us a very important connection about Shabbos. That there's something intrinsically holy about Shabbos. Now usually when we think of holiness, I'll ask you, when you hear the word holy, what's the first thing you think of? Just yell it out. What do you think of when you hear of holiness? Set apart. Set apart? Let me ask you, why do you say that? Um, because there's, well, it's a good question. Um, I guess I was thinking in terms of like sacred and profane. So separation from Okay, the okay, okay. I just I stopped you on purpose because um, many people don't know that the root of the word when holiness is used as the verb it does mean to separate it's something different than a set aside that's a good word it's set aside so I'm very glad that you knew that and of course God right what else when you, when you hear holiness what do you think of Life. Life. That's a good one. Life. Experiences. Experiences. What do, what do you mean by that? Like just a moment and an experience. Ah, okay. Like standing at the top of a mountain and having, like, you know. Like a conversation <coughs> yeah. or like a concert or, I don't know. Okay. Any of the above? To be whole. To be whole. Well, that's a great English play on words, right? Holy <laughs> to be whole, but that that works. Anyone else? Ritual to mark as like ah, okay, yeah. Kind of to demark something as being special. The same root word, kuf dalit shin, is the Hebrew root for holy kadosh. It's the same word for the marital ceremony mm. that one a man and a woman separate themselves out of all the three and a half billion women on the planet is, uh, or a man you have separated each other to be special relationship okay so now that we've gotten some ideas here everything that everyone said is is correct Shabbos happens whether whether we hook into it or not and that's what's very 
unique about Shabbos. We're told the holidays are a little bit different because in the Torah, uh, the Sanhedrin was uh, appointed with the, the job of declaring the new moon. This is before we had a set calendar, and this is very, very good for for you who are living so much outside that the Jewish calendar is so connected to nature and the moon that the new moon is a, is a holiday every month the new moon is a holiday in the Torah and the full moon is we say blessings over the full moon it's until this day it's very connected so because the Sanhedrin the Sanhedrin is like the high court was given the the uh, job or the prerogative to set when the new moon would be that would set when the holidays were so they would learn from this that the holidays are we have half of the let's call it decision making process of when the holidays are going to be but Shabbos is always Shabbos and we could go about our business and be oblivious to Shabbos but it's still happening so that's why when you said hooked into this is very very true in other words every Shabbos Shabbos energy pervades the world the only question is are we plugging into it it's it's yeah just a question about that um because it seems that if a lot of our, you know, holidays are linked to like the lunar cycles, that that is outside of human experience or perception no, tapped in because mm-hmm. it's gonna be a new moon whether we're a part of that or not. Uh, no, but we have yeah. to testify yeah. that we actually a human being has to interact here and go up to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem and say, I saw the new moon and it looked like this. It was on the lower like um, let's say between three and six o'clock in the sky and if it was between nine and twelve it was the old moon the new moon is it between between three and six so a human being two human beings actually had to had to witness that they saw the, the moon before the, the Sanhedrin before the high court and only when they had established that there was a human being involved here could they actually declare the new moon and the importance of this is that the first mitzvah given to the entire Jewish people was the, how to sanctify the moon but we're told that along with that came the secret of the entire Jewish calendar and even more than that the secret of time and we're going to see how this plays into Time Shabbos dimension. in a, a very uh, beautiful way and it's very connected to, to quantum physics and relativity and we're going to see how it, it fits in in a little while mm-hmm. but we're told that why is that the first missile we receive as a people is that we will be masters of time and that's why God gave it over to us to declare when the new moon is it had to be through witnessing the moon uh, obviously 
later we made a calendar they knew how to make a calendar back then also what, I, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm introducing certain spiritual concepts about Shabbat but then where, where I want to take this is is to show how the laws of Shabbos become the vessel that we can feel the spirituality because we have a problem here and this, this is not just about Shabbos it kind of cuts across Judaism there's the idea of what some people call the spirit of the law and what's called the letter of the law and some people think I can just fulfill the letter of the law I don't really need to know the deeper meanings of the laws the philosophical, the mystical how it affects my soul how it gets me closer to God I have to keep the law and that's what I'm doing so in other words some people think they can keep the letter of the law and the spirit is not that important and you have the opposite people who are deeply connected to the spirit of the law but somehow feel that 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 supersedes the letter of the law the letter of the law is not all that important it's, it's like what I feel in my heart and that and, and so there are problems on both ends of the stick here the real solution is to be able to understand how the letter of the law is the vehicle of the spirit of the law that they're not two opposite things they're not two different things they go hand in hand so I'm beginning with uh, spiritual understandings of Shabbat and then we're going to connect them to, to the laws of Shabbat and see how they, they really work together okay so it says in the Gemara an amazing thing it says Shabbat is one sixtieth of the world to come Shabbat is one sixtieth of the world to come so what that means is that it, sometimes in English it's translated the bliss of Shabbos that when we're connected in a very deep way to the spiritual nature of Shabbat when we get to that place of true relaxation and uh, inner inner peace that what we're experiencing is a little bit of what we talk about is the world to come now this is an amazing concept amazing concept every week we can plug in to another dimension is we're taught in Kabbalah that the world to come is not a linear time concept in other words, right now we're in this world and after we pass away then we're in the world to come they explain it no they're, they're, they're happening simultaneously we'll get to string theory a little bit that this world and the world to come are happening at the exact same time but like we said about Shabbos not everyone can plug into it 
not everyone can be aware that there are other dimensions happening simultaneous to us so that's why we have a, an idea that on Shabbat we receive an extra soul in Hebrew it's called Neshama Yetera an extra soul now this symbolizes that that Shabbos has an extra level of spirituality an extra level of holiness but a very deep question is asked if, when we're talking about an extra level of soul does it mean that as Shabbat comes in a level of soul somehow magically floats down from heaven and enters into me or does it mean that when Shabbos begins a level of soul that is in me all the time now has the space to come out of its shell like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly and in all of these cases when you have what seems to be two opposites one says it's coming from outside of us one says it's coming from inside of us so the phrase in the Gemara is Elu the Elu divrei avokim chayim these and these are the words of the living God meaning they're both true they're both true in other words going back to creation we said that God created the world and then rested on Shabbos and made it holy and sanctified it it means that on Shabbos there is an influx of different energy new energy spiritual holy energy into the world at the same time we're told that it's not just from the outside and and, and you'll see this is where the laws of Shabbos come in that when we greet the Shabbat and prepare for the Shabbat and receive upon ourselves the Shabbat it just opens us up it opens up new levels of soul that are there all the time but we don't pay attention or we don't give it the space now this is where we can make a transition towards the laws of Shabbat I'll give an example when I mean meditate we meditate to music we meditate when we're taking a walk in nature we meditate when we're doing artwork we meditate when we learn and there's also the type of meditation where we can sit quietly with our eyes closed and breathing deeply and that kind of meditation so in that sense I would imagine everyone here practices meditation on on a certain level but let's take the type of meditate let's call it the classic type of meditation where we sit quietly for let's call it an extended amount of time half an hour hour something in between and we turn off our cell phones let's say you want to meditate so to meditate you know that you need a certain mental space so first of all you're going to clear your calendar 
because if you know that you have to be at a, a, a meeting in a half an hour and you have to get things together it's very hard to sit down and meditate when you're thinking about oh, okay I have to catch the bus and I have to get my briefcase and I have to get my backpack and I have to do this so we kind of clear our calendar a bit we're going to turn off the cell phone for sure we're going to turn off the ringer on the phone if the radio is playing or our CD or our uh, MP3. MP3 or whatever iPods, we're going to turn everything off. We're going to probably be in comfortable clothes. We're going to sit in a nice, warm, cozy place. Just like the earth. Right? And then we'll be able to get into the meditation. But if you don't do all of those things, number one, you're going to be disturbed. The radio is playing. The the phone starts ringing. The the door starts knocking, and there goes your meditation. So, in other words, to meditate properly, we need to make the space. We need to make the 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 physical and the mental, the spiritual, the emotional, the psychological space in order to properly meditate. So listen to this. This is the secret of the laws of Shabbos, as simple as it is. Because if we're going to go about our business like any other day, and we're going to drive in cars, and I, I, have to, I have to tell everyone here now, what I'm saying is I'm presenting the traditional way of doing Shabbat. we're perfectly aware that there are people on very different levels of observance here so do not in any way shape or form take my words as any kind of uh, judgment or anything of that sort I'm just presenting the the traditional view okay I hope that's, that's, that's clear so by stepping back from all the things we do during the week the phone, the TV, the iPod, the computer, the uh, just the act, uh, work, um, planning, and we we clear our schedules as it were. And instead of a half an hour meditation, Shabbos becomes a 24-hour meditation. We walk differently. We think differently, we talk differently, and everything we do during the, the day is different than the rest of the week. This is what makes Shabbos special. And so therefore, you have to understand, I and my wife, we, we do not come from religious homes. In fact, I was, I have, to, I have to be honest, I was raised in an atmosphere of ridiculing Shabbat. In other words, I was more or less taught that Shabbos is, is backwards. It's not, it's not just that it's old-fashioned, it's like backwards. It's not progressive, it's limiting, it's ridiculous. And this is, this is, how, I, this is how I grew up thinking. This is how I, I, I grew up thinking. And so when you look at Shabbos from the outside... I understand more than anyone it, it, 
it's hard to understand. You don't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't watch TV. Like, how do people survive? You can't answer the phone. Like, like what century are you in? Like, this is like barbaric. But that's, I'm just saying that that's, that's just how we, we think. When you look at it from the outside, but when you understand that the only real way to get to the true essence of Shabbos is by making the space for the meditation. That's why we bring Shabbos in early and we try to take it out late. This idea of stretching Shabbos into the week on both ends. And, and, and so again, this comes from the idea of being masters of time. That we have this ability to stretch this holiness into more and more time. And that's why we're told in the, at the time of the Messiah, what's called the Messianic Era, we're told the world will become all Shabbos. In other words, this influx of energy will no longer be just on Shabbos. It will be all the time. I don't want to go too off the subject here, but the um, Jewish calendar is unique in that it is a lunar calendar that takes into consideration the solar calendar. That's why we have leap years. We have seven leap years in every 19. Every 19 years we have seven because if we didn't, what would happen? A, A lunar year is approximately 11 days shorter than a solar year. So if you don't add a leap year approximately every three years, you retrograde a month. So that's why, remember when I said these and these are the words of the living God? So there's a, there's a deep symbolism in the sun and the moon. We're told that they're very different energies. And therefore, the, the Muslim calendar is purely lunar. So that the Ramadan can happen at any season of the year. But because we always want Pesach, Passover to fall in the spring, so we have to keep adjusting the calendar. To oh, move. That's why this year, Ramadan is, let's say, in August. Next year, it will be in July. Next year, in June. It's not connected to a season. All of our holidays are connected to seasons and, and you should know, to agriculture. Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, the three uh, pilgrimage holidays, have a deep and intrinsic connection to not just agriculture, but the season. Pesach is intrinsically and essentially connected to spring energy. It's the energy of freedom. Freedom is in the air in the spring. And that's Pesach energy. And Shavuos is the harvest. And Sukkot is the ingathering. And, and the ingathering is very connected to the fall. And the harvest is very connected to the summer. So the Jewish holidays are super connected, not just to the sun and the moon, but to the land. To the land. And the Gregorian calendar, the Western calendar, is purely solar. It's not connected to the moon at all. 
the Jewish calendar is both lunar and solar. This is a very deep philosophical understanding of uh, what what I'm leading to between the spirit and the law, mm-hmm. between physical and spiritual, and it's and it's symbolized in the Magen David. If you look at the Magen David, the Star of David, so you have a triangle going up, and you have a triangle going down. Two totally opposites. You can't get more opposite than that. Triangle going up and a triangle going down. But what is the Star of David? They're interlocked. They're interlocked. It's spiritual and physical. Solar and lunar. Mundane and holy. Masculine. Masculine and feminine. And all the opposites, all the polarities of this world... Our, our world view is always how do we put them together. So just to come back to the idea of, the, of how the, the, the laws of Shabbos um, make the spiritual aspect present. So again, this idea of envisioning Shabbos as a 24-hour meditation where for the whole time our phones are off and our computers are off. Mm-hmm. And that, that means that really we go through the whole day. And I have to admit, I can't say I'm on this level every Shabbos, but there are times where you feel it for hours on end. You feel like you're in, in, in a, a meditative, peaceful bubble. And it doesn't matter if you're singing at the table if you're eating, if you're praying, if you're playing with your children, if you're resting on the couch, there is this ambience of peace that is so pervasive that you feel in this spiritual bubble. But there's an interesting thing, very interesting thing, is that in, in the Zohar, the Zohar is the primary book of Kabbalah, it calls Shabbos Yom Dinishmata, the day of the soul. It's a soul day. But there's a very interesting uh, observation we can make about Shabbos. We don't, there's, there's no day in the week that we eat more, that we prepare f- more food for, that we drink more, that we rest more, right? We rest more. And that in Kabbalah, it's considered the most appropriate and auspicious time for husband and wife to be together intimately is on Shabbos. So so you have a question, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Shabbos was the most spiritual of days. So why are we eating like three huge meals and snacking in between and going to kiddushes, right? And we're sleeping. Like what's so spiritual about sleeping? And, and sexuality, the way it's played up in the Western world is like the most physical of all acts. And in a sense it is. But in Judaism, sexuality is the most 
spiritual events. But all of these things point to the same thing. That Shabbos is when, more than any other time, we can unify physical and spiritual. And that's why all the great uh, Hasidic Rebbe's, when they would eat on Shabbos, some, some every bite, some every few bites, but they would say, the covered Shabbos Kodesh, for the honor of the holy Shabbos. And they would eat a little bite, and, and they would taste it every single bite bliss out. and bliss out and again if someone was looking from the outside so this is spiritual <laughs> having three meals sumptuous meals I, I thought spiritual means like Yom Kippur we don't eat it all it's not true it's not true so this idea of unifying physical and spiritual is the same secret of the laws of Shabbos which seem very physical you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this and, you can't, and they're all physical things but, and, but and look what it opens up though all those things you can't do opens up the door to experience ourselves, our souls God our families, our friends, like we, we just don't, it's not like we can't do this on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. I can also eat and taste it and know that it's spiritual. I, we can do it. So is everyone following what I'm saying here? So in other words, again, if you look from the outside, it from in the modern world it's like it's like almost incomprehensible how can people not do all these things I, just like it it doesn't it doesn't compute it doesn't like it doesn't register you know there's a, there's a beautiful uh, example of this that uh, the, the the parable is that Let's say there's a, a wedding going on inside a hall. And if you would be in the hall, so the, the, the music is, is blaring and people are dancing and pouncing on the tables and like the energy is like... But let's say someone passes from outside. And let's say, let's say they're from Mars, okay? They don't know how sound... Works in this in, in our universe, and they walk past and they look in, and from outside you can't hear anything. Triple glass windows, right? And they look in and they see people are dancing, doing acrobatics, right? And they're like, "What's what's going on there? Like, are these people crazy? Like, can you imagine? Everyone knows on circus we shake the." the four species can you imagine someone walks in the modern world walks outside a synagogue and looks in right and the people go right 
right? And like a like hundred people inside doing it. You walk by and like, oh my, they're crazy. They're out of their minds. But that's only because they're looking at it in the outside. In the meantime, of the hundred people in there, probably 50 are doctors, 25 are accountants, 10 are, you know, like multi-millionaire businessmen. Others are CEOs. I mean, like, but you look inside and they look like they've lost their minds. But that's because we're looking at it from the outside. We don't know the context. So on Shabbos, when you're on the inside, all you're feeling is peace. That's what you're feeling. And just, just thank God that Shabbos, right? And thank God I could sit at the table for more than 20 minutes before I have to rush here and rush there. And how many families, they, they actually never eat together. Because this one's on the, not even on purpose. Not on purpose. But the father works, you know, late. And the mother has, you know, two jobs. And one of the kids is in high school and has extra activities. And one's in junior high, and they, they're on the sports team. And like everyone has different schedules, and like just like everyone's crossing like ships in the night. So Shabbos, you get to sit with your family and talk and sing and relax and spend quality time. This is like what an amazing thing. Okay, now I want to switch gears and show you something very beautiful, and then. And then Rachel is going to like take this idea and move it to a, 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 a very practical level. In the Torah, there's a very interesting thing. After we come out of Egypt, we're told to build a tabernacle. This tabernacle became the, the, the model of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. It had all the same vessels. It had an ark. It had a, a, a holy of holies. It had the candelabra, the menorah. It had an altar. It had a courtyard. All of the same things. And this became the, the basis of a synagogue. Now what we see in the Torah is a very interesting thing. Time after time, when we speak about the tabernacle, it's always juxtaposed to Shabbos. It happens many times when we talk about the, the Mishkan the tabernacle like right next to it is Shabbos so there's a, a type of learning in when we learn Torah that's called Pardas does anyone know what Pardas stands for it's an acronym has anyone heard this before Pardas first of all in, in Hebrew does anyone know what Pardas means an orchard is very appropriate for Adamah. It means an orchard. But it's made up of four letters. And it also sounds a little bit like the English paradise. Right. The word paradise comes from pardis. It's a mystical uh, literature. The, there's an idea called the holy apple fields. This idea, again, of taking nature. Actually, we're going to talk about it tomorrow taking nature and finding the holiness in nature. So the, the four letters stand for the first is of Pardes, the P stands for Pshat, which means the simple, literal meaning. 
the storyline. The R or the Resh of Karde stands for, anyone know? Remez. Remez. Good. What does Remez mean? A hint. A hint. An illusion. There's, we have the simple, literal meaning. But then there's something in the verse, something in the letters, something in the words that alerts us that there's some, something being hinted to here. There's some allusion to some other deeper meaning. Then we have the D of Pardas or the Dalad. Anyone know? Drush. 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 What is a drush? What kind of meaning is drush? What you talk about like afterwards, beyond just the story, like the secret, then like what you're going to do. Okay, yes, very connected. Yeah, in other words, even a deeper understanding. Yes. In other words, what do we learn from this that relates to our lives? Here we're learning about, let's say, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Long time ago. But when you get to Drusha, it's like, okay, how do we translate these stories into teachings for our own lives? And the words that we use for Drusha are allegory and parable and metaphor. Okay. Have you heard of the word Beit Midrash? House of study? Comes from this word. Midrash comes from Drush. And then the last is the Samach or the S of Pardes. And anyone know what that is for? Sod. What's a Sod? Secret. That's the Kabbalistic, mystical understanding. So we're told every single verse in the Torah can be learned out on all four levels. So let's take the juxtaposition of the tabernacle and Shabbos to see what we learn from this. So the simple level is we might think that building a space in which to serve God and that God's presence will dwell in it, there could be nothing more important in the universe than that. That's what we might think. So, the Torah puts Shabbos right next to it to remind us, no, even building a tabernacle doesn't supersede Shabbos. That's a simple understanding why Shabbos keeps on appearing, because when we built the tabernacle God's presence filled the tabernacle this is pretty awesome and yet we're told even so nothing that does not supersede Shabbos saving a life supersedes Shabbos that supersedes Shabbos but not even building a place for God so that's the simple the hinted to meaning is and this is why, really why I'm saying the whole thing is that in a number of places in the Torah when it talks about Shabbos it says that you can't do malacha. You can't do work. And work is called malacha. The knitting. Ah, yeah, that's one of them. That's malacha. one of the malachas. Malacha is a little bit different than avodah. Avodah is more 
like what you do in the field um, or in a factory. It's it's and it, it doesn't matter how hard it is, but it's more like pure physical work. Malacha is a work of a craftsman. And then when it's talking about the tabernacle, it uses the same word, malacha. So there's a principle of learning Torah. If two words are mentioned in different contexts, then we connect them. So if it talks about these are the works that are needed to make the tabernacle, and then it says about Shabbos, these are the works that we don't do. So it's like one and one equals two. It must be that the works that we cannot do on Shabbos are the very works that we did to build the tabernacle. Did you follow that? How they put, put the two together? Because the same word, malach, is used in both places. And so therefore the work that we, that's how we know what works we can't do on Shabbos. It's not just anything. It's those works that we did to make the tabernacle. So that's what's called the remez. The allegorical or metaphorical understanding is that there's a connection between what we'll call holy space and holy time. The tabernacle is called holiness in space and Shabbos is called holiness in time. And we're told that they're very, very connected. The idea of holy time and holy space. And that's why we go to such lengths to prepare our houses for Shabbos. Because if we didn't clean up and we didn't put a white cover on our table and, and buy flowers and put out our best dishes. Sometimes we're making like a holy space. We're making our space special and holy in order that it can encompass the holiness of time. And then the secret meaning is something that was there all the time but it took Einstein to understand because until Einstein no one understood that time and space are intrinsically connected I'm talking about in the most physical way the way we look at the physical universe it took Einstein to reveal what's called the space-time continuum that space and time are intrinsically woven together. But this is already alluded to in the juxtaposition of Shabbos and the Mishkan, of putting holy space and holy time together. And just speaking of holy time, and then I'm going to turn it over to Rachel, who's going to take this idea of this is where we're learning the laws of Shabbos from. And... She'll tell us a little bit more about how to connect it to the spiritual. But just a beautiful understanding of how to create this holy time of Shabbos. We're told in the, in the Talmud that when Shabbos comes, we should, see, we should see it as if all our work is done. 
What does that mean? It means everyone's always in the middle of everything. Like we're in the middle of life. Everyone's always in the middle of a relationship, a job, a move, a, a course, a this, a that. So the Gemara says, if you want to enjoy Shabbos, you have to see that your work is done. In other words, if you carry the weekday into Shabbos, you won't experience Shabbos. You could keep all the laws of Shabbos. Here's again the, the, the spirit and the law. You can keep every law of Shabbos to its finest detail. But in here, if all you're thinking about is all of your weekday problems, you get a certain amount of reward for keeping the, the laws of Shabbos, but you're missing out. Totally. Why? Because up here you're not in Shabbos. You're not in Shabbos. So the Gemara says that all your work should be done. Another, it's actually a law of Shabbos, that you're not supposed to make plans for anything after Shabbos. Not supposed to be planning on Shabbos. What are you going to do next Tuesday? How am I going to get from New York to here for for my brother's wedding and tomorrow? Like, when Shabbos comes, we don't think about the future. So listen, what's happening here? So if there's no past and if there's no future, so what are we left with? The eternal present. Now this is a very special commodity because when do we feel the present because we're always like daydreaming about our our luggage our our pekalach that we carry with us our emotional and psychological you know burdens and we're always planning for the future so when do we ever like really plug into the present okay and obviously we do but for 24 hours for 24 hours, we, we're just thinking about enjoying Shabbos. Because there is no other world on Shabbos. There's no past and there's no future. Now listen to this. This fits in so beautifully with modern science. It's said that what inspired Einstein to, to come up with his theories was from a teenager he had this this vision in his head what would it be like to be on a beam of light he had this like recurring daydream what would it be to be on the the beam of light be light itself and he finally revealed that if you're on the beam of light, meaning if you're traveling at the speed of light, then there no time passes, which is totally counterintuitive. But we know as you get closer to the speed of light, time slows down. And if you would theoretically, theoretically get to the speed of light, no time passes. So I'll throw in a little Kabbalah here. Okay, you're ready to be Kabbalist? The numerical value, the numerical value of words in, in, in Kabbalah are very important. So the numerical value of Shabbat is 702. 
702. The numerical value of light is 207. What's the relationship between that? They're just opposite. One is 702, the other is 207. And we're told they're, yeah, yeah, it's like a mirror image. So listen, we're told this extra level of soul that's coming from either within us or from above, it's pure light. It's, it's holy, divine light. So on Shabbos, we're, we're on the light beam. And if you're on the light beam, no, there is no past and there's no future. There is only no time is passing. You, you're, you can feel those infinite moments on Shabbos. There are, there are something that I'll, I'll finish with this and I'll, I'll turn over, over to my wife. I was once teaching, uh, it was at Hebrew U, and I was teaching that every Shabbos I try, I try to open myself up to an infinite moment. And you can't really plan it, but sometimes you're just sitting outside and the weather is perfect and you can hear the birds singing and a butterfly is, you know, flittering around and the light rays are coming through the tree and you're sitting there and you just feel at this moment the world is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Like this is a moment of, of infinity. So, and I say every Shabbos I, I, I try to be at least open to feeling that. Sometimes it's during the prayers. Sometimes it's, you know, with nature. Sometimes it's singing. And then a, a little while later we had a group from Hebrew Youth for Shabbos. And one of the students turned to me and she said, have you had your moment yet? And she said it like out of context, so I, I, like it didn't register. I said, I said um, what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, like, didn't you teach us that every Shabbos? And I said, I said, wow. Like you remembered, right? And it happened that Shabbos I had, and I told her what it, what it was that Shabbos. So this is like being on the light beam. And I can just tell you from my, from my experience, those moments of Shabbos, but you have, in a sense you have to work very hard to, get, to position yourself spiritually for that moment. It doesn't just come. And that's why we prepare so much for Shabbos. So we're, like, let's, we're in the position that it could happen. And when you feel it, you're just never the same. And you just want more of Shabbos. Okay, so to the practical. How do I get more Shabbos? What do we have to clear out? So what I'm holding here is this cute little book that explains the 39 categories of melacha or creative effort. That um, It explains it for children, but I think it's just a brilliant system, so I wanted to bring it in. But before I start like enumerating any of these, these 39 laws, I just want to evoke from you, what kind of stuff do you do every day here in Adama? Like, what, 
What's that? Tanning hides. Tanning hides. Oh. Okay, great. That's one. That's an av melachan. We're going to talk about av and tolada. Av means like archetypal, and tolada is spin-off. Okay, so what if, if tanning hides is a is an archetypal work that you do here? What would be a spin-off of that work, or something resembling? Um, spinning wool. Spinning wool is an entirely different different uh, action, uh, isn't it? It's great. It's great. Scraping, oh. scraping what? Like, let's say, scraping, scraping hide or scraping the trees, scraping something else on the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Scraping uh, the 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 burnt on stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Dying. Dying. Uh. dying. That's one of the the thirty nine. So we've got three of the thirty nine already. Just talking about the spinning. Scraping, yeah. Well, what would be a, a spin-off of dying? Oh, I was thinking like that dying would come from the tanning because you're like dying. It's connected, yeah. No, yeah. Or dying what would be a spin-off of tanning. Uh, dying would be maybe if you're somehow cooking, like when food mixed together, it's a different color. There is no... No dying in when it comes to food. But that's what we're talking about. 39 archetypal forms of creative endeavor that changes the status quo. Drawing? Drawing, exactly. Like drawing a line, drawing a line or writing a letter. Cutting, exactly. Cutting anything to shape. Soaking something. Soaking something. Soaking something and then wringing it out is Mm -hmm. part of the dying process, absolutely. Like if you spill like... um, like uh, some kind of a substantive dye onto cloth and you're going to change the color of that cloth that would be dye but in food there is no dye okay? just, just, just as a general uh, other stuff other things what do you have to do to prepare the, 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 the ground can I just put in the whole thing of the dyeing and the skins and the scraping is because in the tabernacle they they made coverings of like a year of skin yeah it was of, covered yeah. with skins on of the skins above yeah. it was you know right. wood, wooden yeah. walls covered with gold gold leafing you know what um, okay so what are some of the other things that you had to do to let's say to raise the wheat to be able to bake the bread that was put on the the, the table in the tabernacle okay that's at the very end what do you have to do first Plowing, excellent. You have to open the ground. You have to turn it over. What what other kinds of what would be like plowing? What would be like Rushing. a spin-off? Rushing. Great. That's after the harvest mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. But even before, like as you're preparing the soil, so digging yeah. any kind of any time you dig any kind of a hole in the ground that so you could put a seed into. Fertilizing. Fertilizing, absolutely. It's one of the ways of preparing mm-hmm. the soil. Did you ever think that if you take your Shabbos tablecloth and it's got some sesame seeds from, and poppy seeds on it left over from the challah, the kind of flicked off the challah, if you shake it outside, what are you doing? Exactly, casting the seeds onto the ground. Archetypal, you see the archetype here? And you see the, the spin-off. More. What else, what else do you do with your... Composting also. Yeah, right, we do. We have compost. Well, you're allowed to. Yeah, yes. because the one thing's planting. It's only if on it's on the. Gr- it's only if it's on the ground. Like yeah. let's say, I you know, Anna knows where my porch is outside my kitchen door there. 
so it's like if I just like dump those shake that tablecloth out onto the, the stone tiles it's not considered casting seeds into the ground to make them plant okay after after the, the crops have grown up you, you mentioned harvesting what do you got to do to harvest them cut yep get out there with the sickle and the and the, the scythe and cut, the, cut those those wheat grains down then you got to get rid of stuff that's around that's protecting the kernel what are you doing there threshing okay so throw yeah so you can see that you've got an archetype and you've got a spin off so anybody wants to take a look at this book you can see just from the cover here we've got a guy the way that the earth was planted for thousands of years was he was you know running behind this ox yanking this plow through the ground right so if we take a uh, let's say we want to do a little picnic outside during uh, during Shabbat can we drag a table across the ground okay well that, actually that would be like a tall like creating a row yeah, making a frog I mean it's different like because sorry if you're going to take either but yeah better than the implemented from the ground creating some kind of, you know, furrowed row, and the other one is on the surface, just kind of being slapped across the surface. Middle of the same But they're close. They're close, but you are allowed to, to move the chair across the ground. It's true, because your kavana, because or your intention, your mindset, as you're doing it, is part of the configuration. It's like, what is your intent as you're doing it? If you're, if you're intending to create rows to plant in, then we, we abstain from that on Shabbat. How is it different than from a covenant just to get the table from one place to the other, not to make a... Right, exactly. That's why I allow it's because you're just moving the table and you're not intending to make a planting row. Mm-hmm. You are allowed. Yeah. Now, I want to just show you when you look at this book. The green book means that there is a way to do this malacha on Shabbat and to be with, staying within the spirit and the letter of the law. And the red book is like stop, like wait a minute, like you're getting into that area where you're no longer like really in the spirit and the experience of what what we're trying to get to is that suspended animation of beyond time and space. So this is like a a model of what the the tabernacle looked like, and the tabernacle, all of the implements are hidden someplace in Israel. And we have friends who are um, part of the B'nai Noah that they observe the seven laws that were given to all of humanity after the flood. And they want to, uh, they, they kind of were part of his team. You heard of Indiana Jones? Well, he was a real person. Fendel Jones is a real archaeologist who was part of the team that dug up the Qumran scrolls, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they uh, have hints about where this stuff is all buried and hidden and waiting to get revealed again. But anyhow, there were all these things, all these different works that needed to be done to create this curtain, for instance. How did they create this parochah, this like something that we have a model of it in the, at the synagogue? We have like a curtain over the, the Holy Ark where the Torah is kept. How did, how did they go about that, doing that? Okay, so you, you mentioned two of the malachot, the, two of the, the works, the spinning and the dyeing. Yeah. So what did you do with the wool after you got it? Spinning, weaving. Weaving. So this, you take the spun wool, the spun is creating the, the one thread, and then you're creating a fabric out of the, the threads, either by weaving or by knitting or 
or the other the other uh, way to putting yarn together. So that's you know one of the uses here. The scraping of the, the hides was to create these covers over the over the arc here. The building. Let's say what about um, yeah. I'm sorry, I'll let you finish your thought. No. I had a question back to the scraping. Go, we'll go. Okay. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, um, so, like, if you're using a real rubby sponge when you're mm-hmm. doing your dishes, mm-hmm. is that a gray area for some people with regards to the You'd get a green book. You'd get that little cute green book. If, if you're using the kind of sponge that does not absorb, because what other malacha are we avoiding that way? No. The squeezing out of the dye from the from the cloth. So okay. The in that case, That's okay as long as it's not as the sponge itself is not like the kind of sponge that once you pick it up in you're going to wring out the the water. And also, it's not permanent. In other words, if you mm-hmm. have food on a plate that was eaten an hour ago, mm-hmm. that's not permanent. But let's say you have some um, crud on your clothes that have been there for a week or two and it's all dried off and, <laughs> and like sticking to it you, you're actually, actually you're not allowed to go like this and take it off because that is the malacha that's like scraping uh, because that's like it's like it's not permanent but it's like there it's not like in the last hour or so and it's all dried so we avoid like doing that with uh old stains or things like that okay so what other just like noticing these pages here what other thing did we not let's say include when we're, we're talking about harvesting the grain to prepare the bread to put on the altar there the, the table the golden table okay so which one did we did we miss here we've got choresh which is plowing we've got zorea which is casting the seeds we've got Kotzer, which is cutting down the the grown sheaves, and then what comes after that? Ma'amer, which is it's like gathering, it's creating like the the bundles, the bundles of grain. Because the grain can't be like just cut and then immediately threshed; it has to go through a process of drying out. So, that, so some practical examples is that's why on Shabbos you can't pick an apple off of a tree. And let's say you have the apple tree and a whole bunch of them had fallen. You can't go then and put them into a bushel. You, if you're walking down the road, you can't like pick a flower. Or like people like to like, you know, like snap off a branch or something. All of that is, is, is part of it. I just want to add here because the tendency is to start to think like, oh, come on now. Like, come on now. Like, aren't we going too far here? But the idea is, is remember, every law has an idea behind it. All of these things seem very, very small, right? But it's, it's, it's what we'll call the slippery slope, right? Because in other words, if you can, like, pick a flower, then why can't you pick an apple off the tree? If you can pick an apple off the tree... Why can't you go down to the field and harvest the wheat? It's so we get to the we get to the little things. Get to the little things. But again, from the outside we see that that's picayune. 
But if you're on the inside, it's because each of these acts has an idea behind it. Has an idea behind it. But I have to say, again, you can get lost in the letter of the law and follow everything exactly and not tune into the spirit of Shabbos. It has to be both together. Again, from a traditional point of view, it needs to be together. It can't be just the law without the spirit, and it can't be the spirit without the law. They really have to be integrated like the Star of David. The Star of David, which we think of like a national symbol, is a very, very profound uh, explanation of what a lot of Torah is aiming at. Is these two interlinked triangles. It comes up over, over it's actually a, a book that I've, I've thought a number of times of writing. Hmm. Is explaining, a whole book on just explaining all of the different symbolism and allegory of the Magen David, of the Star of David. And I'd like to end with a, a, a blessing in the form of a story, and then maybe one more song. And then we'll call it evening, unless anyone wants to sit around and we can play a little bit, play the music. I'm telling this story in like so short, but this is a story I heard from someone who heard it from the person it happened to. The story was like this: uh, Our rabbi was Rabbi Shlomo Kaubach, whose 13th uh, Yurtzeit anniversary of his passing was just this Saturday night. And he would go around the world playing concerts and trying to turn people onto the spirit of, of the Torah. And so there was a couple in Chicago, and they were completely not connected to anything Jewish. And at work, uh, a friend of his said, um, you know, there's this, this great rabbi coming to town. He's doing a concert. You want to come with us? He said, no, I'm not, well, I'm not interested. But he asked him over, he said, no, but he's really different. You'll really like him. Right? Have you heard of any singing rabbis lately? Like, he's like, really different. So he agreed to go. And he and his wife went. And they were enthralled by this concert. They were like, it opened up a place and then they couldn't even describe it. They didn't know how to put words to it. But afterwards, um, the friend said, you want to to meet him? They were a little shy. They said, okay. They went over there and there were like a hundred people surrounding him and talking to him. And so finally, they they were about to give up. And Rabbi Shlomo saw them leaving and he said, said, friends, how are you? I'm so glad you came. And he said, "Um, do you you have have a, a business card? If you give it to me, I'll call you. So he gave it to him, and he thought, sure, right, sure. Months went by, didn't hear anything. Friday afternoon, they get a call. Rabbi Shlomo says, I'm so sorry it took me so long to call, but I collect thousands of cards, <laughs> right? He said, I'm calling from London. I just want to see, what are you doing for Shabbos? And they said, we don't do anything for Shabbos. He said, would you like to do something for Shabbos? He said, 
yeah, but we don't, we don't have the vaguest idea what to do. He said, do you have two candles in the house? Yes. He said, just light two candles before sunset and just say a prayer, whatever prayer you want. So they did it. And, oh, and he said, and I'll call you back next week and you'll tell me how it was. <laughs> I'm making a long story short. He called back every Friday for like two months. The next week was, do you have any wine in the house? <laughs> right? Just make a lachaim. Just make a lachaim. The next week is, do you have any challahs? What's challah? Right? Do you have any bread? Right? But put two breads on your table and just thank God for creating the, 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 the grains of the earth. Every week, he added one other thing. One little thing. And the end of the story is they, you know, they, they, they embraced Shabbat. They changed their whole house. They sent their kids to Jewish school. They pulled them out of public school. They sent them to Jewish school. The whole thing. The whole thing. And, 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 and the wife says that it, it, it all started with two candles. Right? So, uh, uh, truthfully, all these laws of Shabbos, they take many years to learn. Um, it's... it's, it's it's pretty awesome you know you look at the whole thing and it's like whoa wait a minute here wait a minute here but we just encourage you start with something you relate to there's so much of Shabbos you can relate to whatever whatever it is like singing get together with your friends and, and sing on Shabbos you like taking walks on Shabbos with no you know no iPods like to hear the quiet Whatever it is, do something for Shabbos because the rewards are, are truly infinite. They're truly infinite. But I want to end with a song. This is one of Reb Shlomo's songs. And in, in Hebrew, the words are Mizmor Shir Miyom Shabbos. A song for the day of Shabbos. And, he, and then in English is The Whole World is Waiting to sing the song of Shabbos. Is my
Yeah.